Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Justin Clark. And I'm Matamor Cronin. And today we're talking about the future of big tech. So we'll be talking about all the major tech companies, especially the FANG stocks, so Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google. We might also touch on a couple other companies that are relevant, like Microsoft, maybe mm -hmm. Alibaba, Oh some yeah, other, other companies, you know, the whole China versus U.S. tech battle <laughs> that seems to be ongoing. Right. But I think the, the first, a good way to start off this podcast, as we look forward towards the next 20 to 40 years about how big tech is going to change, I think it's useful to start by looking back and think about what companies are still around, you know, from the last mm -hmm. 50 to 100 years. And I remember in one of my business classes, one of the professors noted that the only company that's still in the Fortune 500 since 100, like in the past 100 years, is mm -hmm. GE, General Electric. Every other company has dropped out. So that's just a really? testament to how much companies come and go. And typically, this, you know, this one thing Ray Dalio talks about a lot is that it's difficult for a company to live beyond its founder. And you really have to have mm. a strong culture and strong values that are able to, you know, live on beyond the charismatic Steve Jobs or Ray Dalio or whoever that, you know, Warren Buffett, whoever the founder might be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like Apple, I mean, if we're looking at current companies, it seems like Apple did a decent job transitioning. Yeah. Well, they say that, you know, Tim Cook is the master of spreadsheets where it was a kind of the perfect role for where Apple was in its life cycle because it was really just, I mean, Apple has done better than any other company as far as being profitable, shareholder returns. Mm. They have a, yeah. the biggest valuation of any tech company. So looking at the rankings of the Fortune 500 tech companies in 2018, I'll just list them off. Apple, $851 billion dollars. Alphabet, which is you know formerly known as Google, seven hundred nineteen billion dollars. Microsoft, seven hundred three billion dollars, and then Amazon, seven hundred one billion dollars, and then a bit further down is Facebook, four hundred sixty four billion, and then much further down you get Netflix at one hundred and forty billion, which is just catching up to Disney, which is at one hundred and fifty billion. So Apple's on top, and that tends to surprise people. Usually they think Amazon's the biggest one or, or Google. Yeah, I was looking. So what, what were the dates on those market caps? So that was as of the 2018 Fortune 500. So that was, it. you know, it's they've grown since then. So it's mm -hmm. a little bit outdated, but not much. Yeah, I was looking that I, th I think Apple is now... 930 billion like they're wow. they're very close to the trillion dollar market cap and then you yeah. have alphabet and then amazon in terms of rank right yeah it's the race to the trillion dollar Jeez. company which is just insane i mean that's bigger than whole countries economies you know in one company and there's no there's no amazon or apple in europe or you know, it's really just China and the U.S. that have these major tech companies. Yeah, that's it's really interesting that the U.S. I mean, the U.S. before World War II wasn't even 
an, on the a world there. economic power. Right. And then and then after that and you know there's there are many other conversations that we can have about why the US came out on top. Maybe it's the military industrial complex, maybe it's some other things. Right. Um, forgiveness but, forgiveness for failure. Yeah, exactly. It's like if you haven't failed hard and learned from it and rebuilt yourself, then are you even really an American? I mean, <laughs> that's so ingrained in America's identity as like pulling yourself up from your bootstraps and mm. you know doing what no one said was possible and typically you'll have a, a, a low point where you hit rock bottom and then you build yourself back like you know the Steve Jobs story of him getting fired and then coming back on as CEO creating the most valuable company right. know, valuable tech company in the world I mean it's amazing yeah I think it's also really cool that it's a country of immigrants and you always, for some reason, I don't know why this seems prominent to me, and I don't have data to back this up, um, but I've, I've seemed to notice that a lot of extremely successful people are either immigrants themselves or children of immigrants. Hmm. Um, well, and I, I don't know if it's the culture that they bring, but... Right. I, I would imagine it's a, the drive, mm-hmm. that they have more drive than someone who inherited a lot of money from their parents and they know they can kind of coast on by in their 20s and 30s and you know inherit money in their 40s and 50s or whatever so yeah i think that mentality but i was i was also talking to uh, or i wasn't talking to i was listening to one of james altusher's podcasts Mm -hmm. and it's with the guy robert green who wrote 48 laws of power okay but he also wrote mastery and he talks about to be a master of your craft, you have to really be passionate about whatever it is, and making money cannot be your goal. It, it's mm-hmm. like it, that is almost a predictor of you not succeeding if you're doing it to make money. Whereas <laughs> if you're someone like Steve Jobs who traveled all throughout Asia, found himself, and just dedicated his life to achieving excellence in his craft, which mm-hmm. was personal computing, that's how you achieve real success. Yeah. So do you want to talk about these these top companies and give our thoughts on yeah, where, let's do it. where they are now and where they might be going in the future? Yeah, so let's do you want to do a top 3 ranking? As in our favorites? Like the the so let's let's be specific. The 3 tech companies that we believe will be in the best position 20 to 40 years from now. Maybe 20 years, 40 is a long time. Yeah. Let's see. So I kind of broke it down into categories. And, and I, I think one of the cool things about these top companies is that they complement each other well. Yes, they have some, some competition, like Google and Amazon are both kind of competing for the infrastructure market, so the computing infrastructure market. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it, it seems to me like Amazon is dominating that right now. But let's, if I were to choose three, I would choose Apple because I think they just make mm. amazing devices. The, the thing that is a wild card for them is they're very secretive and I don't right. really know what's going on. All right, what's your number two? In no particular order for two and three, I think it's going to be Google and Amazon hmm. or something we've never seen before. But I would say Google 
because at least the way that the internet is set up right now where it's extremely ad dominated and that's a whole other conversation um with with the way the internet is right now i think google is just in the position where they're almost too big to fail and they're too right. good and they're i think they're so innovative in how they collaborate with academic researchers and they they pull top talent constantly there are very few people in in the tech space that wouldn't want to work for google for at least a year or two right um do you have a third ranking so if tied for two is google and amazon do you have third let's see I think it depends probably on how the AI race goes or quantum computing, whether that pans out or not. Um, Do you want to be bold and say Microsoft? I, I was, yeah, Microsoft is, I'm conflicted about Microsoft. I don't like the past of Microsoft. Hmm. I don't like how they basically locked all of these enterprise solutions or these um, big companies into their decade-long um, software contracts and all of this other all of their other growth schemes I just think it was a little it's it's not about quality for them it was about just monopolizing the market right and it's the they're very they closed source rather than open source is what i've yeah. found but, and and the thing and that's not necessarily not necessarily a bad thing because i mean Apple's apple like is that, about yeah. the close as closed as you can possibly get it's just the way microsoft went about a lot of things in the past it really kind of turns me off to them, especially mm. since they seem to make very clunky software. Their operating system has had issues basically since its beginning. And you could have, I think the world would be in a much different place and the internet would be in a much different place if Linux was the dominant operating system. And it's arguably a better operating system or well the the hmm. different flavors of linux which is just a free open source operating system that you can use and i think i think it's just the enterprise solutions that microsoft locked in that kept them on top for so long right so maybe your number 1 apple number 2 google number 3 amazon you want to do it that way for you yeah, but and well, I, so I do think Microsoft is going in a good direction. I really like their new CEO, and I like the direction that they're taking. And right. the other thing I'm really interested in what they're doing is their method of trying to get attainable quantum computers working. Mm -hmm. Um. Or, sorry, to get universal quantum computers working. And this this will be an entirely different podcast, but we'll just say that they have a really unique approach, which is way different than all of the other companies in their quantum computing efforts. Right. 
Well, I read an article on Microsoft that said that their three key factors for success going forward is one, to defend its office products. So right now, people still very much prefer, most people prefer Word to Pages, you know, Apple's Pages. But Pages comes for free. You have to pay extra for Word unless you buy mm -hmm. like their own Surface or whatever. So to yeah. defend the office as still being better than the free alternatives that Google and Apple have, that's their first factor for success. Mm -hmm. The second one is to continue to grow their market share in cloud computing. I don't know if you saw this, but they just teamed up with Walmart like yesterday this was announced. Yeah, where basically they're taking on Amazon Instant Video and Netflix by using Walmart to actually pay to generate all of this new content and then having the cloud computing be done through Microsoft to sort of team up against Amazon and, and Google, but mostly Amazon. That's interesting. And then the third factor for success is what you were just referring to, which is to continue to innovate with breakthrough technology like quantum computing. I mean, mm -hmm. quantum computing is similar to AI as far as how big of an impact it can have on just the entire chessboard. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one area where if they capitalize on that, I think you're right. And they might, they might be in the top three, you know, 20 right. years from now. Yeah. So here, I'll give you my so, rankings. So yeah, just to, just to recap, Justin's rankings were Apple number one, Google, Amazon tied for number two, Microsoft tie or Microsoft as number three. My rankings are Alphabet number one, Amazon number two, and then I put Apple and Facebook tied for number three. So okay. I'll tell you my thought process. So All right. Alphabet, which is Google, I, I believe this is the best positioned company because I believe their AI is the farthest along. And I believe AI is just going to be the single biggest factor in, of success for all of these companies. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a Amazon Echo, a, or, uh, yeah, an Amazon Echo, a Google Home, and a HomePod. So I have all three of these devices, and Google is by far the best. I mean, Amazon is the okay. second best. Siri, Apple Siri is the third best. Yeah, um, I'm not, I've never really been that impressed with Siri. No. So, and, and because they came out with du Google Duplex, I mean, I know we've talked about this already, but Google's voice is already smart enough to trick human beings into thinking that you're talking to another human being when in fact you're talking to a machine already. So if you extrapolate that out in the next 20 years, I mean, that's going to be just insane to watch. Mm -hmm. um, also, Alphabet has, aside from AI, YouTube, I think, is possibly the best positioned content source. Because no matter how much money Netflix spends on original content or Amazon, if most people, like consumers, upload their own content on YouTube as opposed to other uh, networks then that's the best position. I mean, you talk about the world of podcasting and YouTubers mm -hmm. and all of this area. It It's like you don't have to pay for people to upload it if they choose your platform. You'll just automatically be the dominant one. And then also there, the cloud, you know, that's, um, that's a big factor for any of these companies, which is not, they're not as high up as Amazon for cloud. Amazon mm -hmm. Web Services is still the dominant player, but yep. they are a big player. So the reason I chose Amazon as number two 
is because they are vying to be the backbone of the U.S., possibly even the world's economy. I mean, they are a logistics company, a retail e-commerce giant, and they are the de facto provider of cloud computing services to pretty much every other company. Yeah, so all of the AI that Google creates, well, Google's probably going to try to run it on their own servers, but I'm pretty sure they'll also probably be running some stuff on Amazon Web Services. Right. Yeah, it's very intertwined. And also, you know, Amazon has Whole Foods, and they're really taking over anything you would need for a household. And I looked at some predictions of where Amazon might be in the next 10 years, and some of what I found is that, you know, their goal is really to take over the world via aggressive pricing and offering you deals that you just can't refuse. And what mm. we're seeing is that they basically sell every possible product that you would want through third parties. But then if it's popular enough, they'll create their own white label version of that product and sell it for a little bit cheaper. And you can just see this like bulging outwards until pretty much every version of what you want there's an amazon version that's cheaper and they would pretty much control everything about what we or a lot a huge percentage yeah. of what we buy and also the other big thing that was talked about in life 3.0 the book that i referenced on the intelligence podcast is that mm -hmm. amazon mechanical turk which is m uh, referred to as m turk this yep. is basically a marketplace for human labor. So you can go on there and say, hey, I need someone to aggregate all the email addresses for all the journalists that I'm trying to, you know, run a PR campaign for mm -hmm. to promote my company. Yep. And they'll basically do that mechanical work for you. But the thing that most people don't realize is that MTurk is a machine learning platform as well. So it learns how humans perform certain tasks and then it determines how to automate that, and then it creates those tasks as well. So Amazon is not just like some shop where you can buy everything, it's also becoming mm -hmm. a means of performing labor tasks better than humans. And if you extrapolate that out, it's like MTurk itself could automate away you know, 10% of all jobs in the next 10 years, something like that. Yeah, and one of the, one of the biggest um one of the biggest bottlenecks in artificial intelligence right now is just getting data sets, getting labeled mm. data sets. And not, not all data sets need to be labeled, but for the ones that do, if you ever hear about um, neural networks and image recognition and stuff, they need somebody to label images. And MTurk is also one of those, right. uh, one of those sources you can use to for other people to label your data sets which is important who do you think uh, has the biggest data set of these top companies oh i've i would say without a doubt it's google yeah um even though you just, don't get all have, the social the social media data i i question how how valuable some of the social media data actually is hmm. because because a lot of social media data is biased in the way that so so with Facebook data for example the things that are posted 
are only posted because people are trying to cater to their followers and their friends. And I think like Google crafting and value signaling and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But with Google, you're completely on your own. So you're, it's mm. almost like you're, you're That's getting the into you. the actual minds of people when you're looking at what they're searching and what they're doing by themselves. That's a good point. Um, but you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of value in Facebook data too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a good point. And that, I think that further supports why I really think alphabet is number one, um, which I know was in both of our top two rankings. So then my third is Apple and Facebook tied and my feeling on Apple, so let me just say I'm a lifelong Apple lover, you know, since the first like Mac 2, that one that had like the nice <laughs> neon colors and the nice bulbous rear. Since, yeah. ha- since that, I've just loved all Apple products. Um, however, it is a high-end product. It's not like a mass market product, which is part of what's good about their differentiation. That's why Google is more of a mass market you know, everyone, all of the growth throughout India and China can be supported by Google, whereas Apple is only going to take, you know, maybe 10% of that market. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's cool about Apple is that just how intuitive it is. Like, I, I watched this one pretty cool video, which is basically all about, um, you know, the, what do they call it? The grand theory of Apple. And it basically tries to explain why Apple does what it does when people seem to not like that, you know, like removing headphone jacks and all these things that we think are super annoying. And we're like, oh, Apple, why can't you just make the battery longer and add more ports (laughs) for my devices? But it actually fits in if you understand their theory. So the first part of their theory is that they want tech to be as natural as possible. So Mm -hmm. they basically want to fit tech into the world of the caveman <laughs> so rather yeah. than vice versa. So like the caveman principle is that no matter what happens with tech, we still are the same human beings that were evolved on the savanna of Africa yeah. and have these caveman principles where we like physical things. We like to feel paper. Like, look, I'm, I'm looking at uh, writing on a journal right now which people thought was going to be obsolete by the time computing had gone this far along. But I still mm-hmm. like the paper, you know, that's the yeah. caveman principle. So they make tech as natural as possible for the people, making it so easy, so foolproof. That's the first principle. The second one is that they make very few products, but they make them really damn good. Mm-hmm. So whereas like Samsung makes a million different products, Apple just makes you know, one MacBook, one MacBook Pro, one iPad, one iPad Pro, one iPhone 8, one iPhone X, you know, they, they're very yep. selective. And then the third principle is that they know best, not the customer. So basically, which is and, so counterintuitive. Yeah. And Steve Jobs was a huge proponent of this. He's like, I, the customer doesn't know what he wants, because it hasn't been invented yet. So right. And they saw some resistance, like they did not want to build a big phone. Like they did not want to build the iPhone plus 
but eventually they were forced to because people really wanted it. So they're like, okay, we'll have the regular one and the iPhone Plus. They still very much believe that the smaller version is the version that people will eventually want. Right. So I think this whole world of being super easy to use, being high-end, being one ecosystem where basically it makes your life easier and more enjoyable to live. So, you know, you use your desktop computer when you're in your home, you know, with specific work to do. When you're on the road, you use your laptop. When you're, you know, sitting, having coffee at some table that doesn't have a lot of room, you use your iPad. When you're pretty much anywhere, like standing next to people on the subway crowded, you use your phone. When you're like going for a run and you don't even want your phone, you use your Apple Watch with your, with yeah. your uh, AirPods. So it's like their products all compete with each other, but it's all the same ecosystem where it tries to make your life easier. So I think this is going to be very good for Apple in the next 10 years. But beyond that, I think the big question is how they adopt AI and how that competes with Google's AI and Amazon's AI. Yeah. And one I can of see, the things... Yeah. Go ahead. So I was just going to say, one of the things about Apple that I do like and why I kind of think that they'll remain on top for a while is there there are other things besides AI that are being created like augmented reality and right. virtual reality. I don't think Apple will do much in the virtual reality space, but I do think they'll have a lot to do with the augmented reality space. I don't know if what the devices of the future are going to look like, if it's going to be some sort of some sort of contact lenses, contact or lenses or glasses. Or... Yeah. Exactly. And I think they will probably, since they are so good at design and innovative uh, devices, I think they are just going to kind of be the backbone of those things. Because especially with um, Apple, you see that their software and their hardware is so tightly integrated. Hmm. I don't know if we're going to have good augmented reality devices that aren't that good. You know, I don't see... I don't see Android devices being so seamless, and because right, there's so many different platforms, yeah, there's, they have there's to, so much hardware, forward. right? Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that can happen, but that's kind of why I think Apple is still so likely to be on top. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then my other tied for third with Apple was Facebook. And Facebook, first of all, if you think of it as Facebook, then you're not thinking of it the right way. Because Facebook also includes Instagram, it includes WhatsApp, it includes Oculus. So mm -hmm. Facebook itself might not be around in 20 years. But the I would, social media platform. The social media platform, Facebook. But I think Instagram and Oculus are very much on the rise. WhatsApp is still very much on the rise. And if you look at what Facebook's goal is as a company... Their goal is to get everyone online and to get everyone connected. And one thing that I've you know, heard Steve Jervison talk about, and I've heard Mark Zuckerberg talk about this, is that in the next 10 years, maybe even the next five years, 
we're going to go from having a third of the world's population online to having 100% of the world's population online or like, you know, 95% or whatever. And basically what they're doing is Facebook is working to beam internet through satellites all over Africa and parts of Asia and anywhere that doesn't have access. And Facebook is going to be the free way that anyone can access the internet. And I noticed this when I was in Cuba with my friend Romel that we went there and we would ask people, you know, in cafes, oh, do you guys have Wi-Fi? You know, do you guys have internet access here? And they didn't even know what we were talking about, but they were like, oh, well, you want to get on Facebook? And we're like, uh, well, yeah, I get it. Like, that's part of it. And they literally thought the internet was Facebook. And I feel like this trend is going to increase where and oh, I noticed, wow. this, I noticed the same thing in Albania where people go online, like a significant amount, but they only go online to visit Facebook. They're not like <laughs> going online, doing other things like, you know, managing Excel spreadsheets and, you mm -hmm. know, whatever else they're going online through Facebook. They get all their news from there. They interact with people from there. They can That's search kinda scary. from there. <laughs> So that's so I think Facebook is pretty well positioned in that sense. Also, I mean their ad revenue is just insane. I mean, I'm a Facebook marketer, so I can see the back end of how deeply you can target and that's mm -hmm. only going to get better over time. Well, they they are doing some restrictions now because there's some scary things that can happen if you can target too closely. Right. So they're they're kind of getting rid of some features cuz there's some ethical backlash on how much privacy you actually have. Yeah, but it's pretty easy to get around it. Like they tried to stop any crypto ads. So any ad that used the word Bitcoin, they would not approve it. But people got around that just by using a zero instead of an O for Bitcoin. <laughs> so it's it's like and and I've I've gamed their platform before, you know, where you know, it'll oftentimes it'll won't allow you to use a certain amount of text in the image, or if it does, it'll seriously dock you and give you a much higher cost per click. But mm -hmm. instead, what I'll do is I'll just make the text much lower res, and then it doesn't get identified as text in the image. Wow. Or like Seems another like thing I'll do they is... they need to work on their AI a little bit. Yeah, or, or like <laughs> another hack for Facebook is... It, you know, typically if you launch a brand new ad, it'll perform better because their system is like, oh, this is brand new content. It's not just some recycled content. So if I have an ad that has performed really well historically, but it started to decay, I'll just show that image, but I'll like slightly like zoom in on a particular area or like just make the cropping a little different or something like that. And then their system doesn't recognize it. So at least now they're not that good at managing the privacy and controls but I, they, they will get better i would imagine yeah yeah the the other scary thing about facebook and also youtube for that matter is there's a lot of ministry of truth stuff going on there's mm. so they're they're trying to be the thought police and you have employees that try to ban certain things and no, they just and hired is, a thousand employees to just take on fake news like as of yeah year. and and i think that is probably a good thing but you also have i think that can go too far hmm. like if you think about the book fahrenheit 451 or um yeah 451 yeah. they um 
that actually started with the people. The people were self-centered, self-censoring, and it eventually led to the totalitarian government censoring everything. But it right. started with the people, and and this is like some very early stages of that sort of thing, yeah. and it's it's kind of scary to think about. It's a slippery slope for sure. But I think right now they're vying more on the side of allowing a lot of information versus censoring. Because, you know, I don't know if you saw this, but Mark Zuckerberg just got a ton of flack for defending people that put out stuff denying the Holocaust. Yeah, I saw that. His argument was basically like, look, a lot of these people, they don't realize what they're posting is untrue. They think that this is a legitimate news source. So for us to ban it is... Um, you know, it's a tricky situation because once you start banning certain types of things that people can discuss, then that can just grow and grow, like you said. But it's actually, I actually think, you know, even though obviously it's terrible to, you know, deny horrible things that have happened in the past and that we know for sure to be true, Mm -hmm. it's even worse to start censoring more and more stuff of what people can say because we have to give people some credit of their ability to understand what's true and what's not. Although that may change going forward with, I mean, you know, we'll see how this trend goes of fake news and... Yeah, I think it would, I think Facebook and YouTube and all of these sorts of content sites would make the world a better place if they didn't create echo chambers. If they, Mm. if they also showed, if you see a Holocaust denial video in YouTube, the next one in your feed should be proof of the Holocaust or something to show you opposite views from the current thing that you're looking at. Right. So you don't get stuck in the you loop of like whatever you like. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in my mind, Facebook is really a company that is all about enjoying yourself, your leisure time, connecting with people. I mean, especially how they just introduced AR for ads and, you know, their Oculus system is going to be growing. I mean, the reason I think they're the best positioned VR company is because I think they're going to be able to do VR ads and AR ads the best. Like their platform is going to be the best one, the most profitable one for advertising to people while they're in these augmented realities and virtual realities. Yeah, that's... I don't know how I feel about that. You almost want to escape to a place where there's where you're free from. Right. Well, the you can ad. pay extra for that. You can pay for the ad-free version yeah. for just $199 a month or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah for go escape. But imagine the imagine you're like, yeah, imagine you're in a sort of an oasis in 20 years like you put on your your uh, glasses and your gloves and whatever and you're in this virtual Facebook world and you can walk around, but you know, you meet your friends at a coffee shop and it happens to be a Starbucks shop and it's, you know, Starbucks paid for that, but it feels very real and it doesn't feel like an overt ad. Yeah. It's just like product placement within the virtual reality world. Yeah. Or you're like at the beach and you're just lounging and then you see a plane fly by and it has a sign for Budweiser beer and it's like, you know, that could very much happen in real life, but, you know, Budweiser paid for that mm-hmm. placement. So I think one of the one of the underrated sectors 
for virtual reality is gaming. Because I, the way I see virtual reality right now is people aren't going to just go to hang out. I think people are going to enter this virtual reality world to play a game of some sort. Like Fortnite. <laughs> yeah, like Fortnite. Um, it, you know, if there was something that viral that was virtual reality, I think that would oh, be yeah. that would be the, the thing that kicks off virtual reality. I mean, look at this. Um, Fortnite was a free game, completely free on the Xbox. They are now worth billions of dollars. And they've only been around yeah. for like six months or something. Yeah, it's, they haven't been around long. Um, I, I wonder how much of it is... I wonder how sustainable it is. Because mm. in addition to Fortnite, you have companies like... My favorite gaming Blizzard company. and Activision. Yeah, Activision Blizzard is my favorite. Because they have a lot of the most popular games. I mean, oh, if you're yeah. talking about... I mean, they don't have League of Legends, but they have very similar games to League of Legends. They've got... They have Overwatch. They have StarCraft, which yeah. is one of the one of the breeding grounds for developing general AI. And they're, they've created their own API so, so companies can actually interact or so ai can interact with their starcraft games you've also got let's see call of duty obviously is a big one candy mm. crush is lumped in with all of those like all the mobile games right because right. they they own the king gaming company right, i believe right. um and i think i think there's a lot of stuff that's probably going on in those big gaming companies that is really pushing virtual reality forward yeah. and probably also ai i mean ai fits with gaming so well especially the more complex games it it seems like that will be one of the first places that very good narrow ai or general ai stems from right well, it's interesting what you said at the beginning of this podcast about how these big tech, tech companies are very complementary. Mm -hmm. Like if you look at Facebook is basically the, you know, what you do in your downtime, you go, you connect with people, you go into VR world, whatever, you get advertised there. Apple is like the high end tech ecosystem that you use for your own life. Microsoft and then, you know, Android of Google are more like the mass market uh, tech ecosystem that you use for your life. Um, overall, Alphabet is basically. I've heard. I've heard Al uh, Google be called a machine learning company that happens to make money. <laughs> <laughs> like Google, basically just builds whatever will result in many people giving them your, their data. <laughs> and like that's yeah, pretty much real. their mo. Um, and then you have Amazon, which is the backbone of the U.S. economy, potentially mm -hmm. the world eventually. And people get freaked out by that. But my feeling is that it's way better for the U.S. if Amazon makes all of our logistics and all of our e-commerce and all oh, of our yeah. shipping and all of our web systems, if it makes it that much more seamless, that much more effective, and then if it can expand globally... That's um, just a huge win for, for the U.S. I mean, you might feel differently if you're listening to this from Russia or China. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, they, they all do fit in very nicely with one another. And 
One company we haven't talked at all about is Netflix. I mean, they're still somewhat smaller. You know, they're only 140 billion versus, you know, Apple and Google and, uh, you know, they're closer to a trillion. Yeah. But it's growing very rapidly. And I think they're going to be another good VR content company. It won't be much of like a, well, at least at least what I think is it'll be more of a observatory VR world where you go in and you're just immersed in another scene kind of uh, kind of like in dreams where you're just kind of observing a whole bunch of things going on and not not as much of an actor when yeah. you're in the third person but you'll be you'll like be the third person of some of these movies yeah like you're watching a movie but rather than having the director decide where you focus your eyes in every scene you decide mm-hmm. where you focus your eyes and you can look all around and mm-hmm. yeah i think that's that could be awesome yeah i mean I, I would i would have put netflix higher on my list except that i think youtube's user generated content and also facebook has so much user generated content also mm-hmm. that it's hard to compete with that when you're producing mo- you know a lot of it yourself but in the premium content space netflix is definitely you know, showing very good signs. I mean, they're about to surpass Disney, which Disney's been around, I mean, for a while, and Netflix is very new. So yep. the fact that they're already surpassing them, I mean, you know, it's it's, it's going to be tough for these big tech companies, or sorry, for the bigger media companies mm-hmm. to continue to survive. I mean, Viacom's been having some, some issues. and um, Right. But I, th- I think they can innovate. It's just a matter of how quickly they can innovate. Yeah, that's that's always the issue. Um, the and then just one last thing I wanted to kind of touch on, um, but it's such a wild card at this point, is companies like SpaceX and companies that will follow SpaceX into the you know inter interplanetary companies and businesses. Yeah. Because I think I think the amount of wealth that can be generated and the amount of resource that we can get from other planets is insane. Um, if if we can just expand to the moon and Mars, I think we'll see the you know there's the problem of inequality, but I think the overall wealth will skyrocket and i hope that that can sort of be distributed right are there valuable minerals on the moon or or what would we extract that i don't know that's that's why i said it's a wild card because i don't know much about like astrogeology or astrobiology right um but i think i think that's a that's a space that is really poised to I mean, it it I think it'll just bring everything beyond what we can conceive right right now because we're we're constrained to earth resources and earth wealth but when we expand to other planets I think that there's the potential to skyrocket everything we know I mean you, we could have data centers that span half the moon and yeah. and instead of having satellites 
shooting stuff down or instead of beaming data from earth up to a satellite and then to another point on earth you could beam directly from the moon to a, a satellite and then to earth which actually will probably be a longer <laughs> that that would be a longer path um but i think <laughs> right but there's some advantages as far as not having to deal with gravity and and uh well, yeah, f especially for if you wanted to like make uh, rocket energy. stations. And, oh yeah. Oh, for well, yeah, the solar the solar energy in space is also way higher when you don't have the atmosphere to right. deal. With. And the only the only yeah. company of our list that has a plan for that is Amazon, right? Blue Origin. Are they the same thing? I I don't know why I thought they were separate companies. Well, I think they're underneath the umbrella right i think they okay i'm pretty i know pretty jeff positive. bezos jeff bezos is yeah, the leader let's see um it might be separately founded by jeff bezos actually hmm. but okay. i mean it's you know it's still within the Jeff Bezos world, so I pretty much consider that Amazon. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's not like we see Apple or even Google. You would think Google would have some space program, but... They probably do, and we just don't know about it. Right, right. <laughs> okay, so I think just to wrap it up, maybe we should do like a very broad strokes, best case, worst case, most likely. Do you want to do that? Sure. I guess it's it's a, a bit, you know, it depends on which companies you like. But So let's start with the worst case. So in my mind, and I'm definitely biased as an American, but in my mind, the worst case would be if Alibaba or some other giant Chinese firm became the first AI player and the most dominant AI player. And basically that resulted in the whole world's, ecos the whole world's uh, economy and logistics being run by essentially China, and then we go towards a more um, tyrannical, you know, controlling yeah. everything that we see, everything that we say. Like that's the worst case scenario: is if a, a company from a country that does not value free speech and free thought, if that wins out, that to me is the worst case scenario. Yeah, agreed. And that's not saying China in general is bad. It's just the the values are much different from from what we hold right and they value the collective americans in the west tend to value the individual and ideally you'd find a you'd strike a balance with that like mm -hmm. you know in certain circumstances if there are hostages and you need to break open you know a back door through a phone to save the hostages it's hard to argue that you should not create yeah. a back door but when you think of the effects of that when that backdoor can be used by the government to see what your political values are and, you know, put a hit on you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <And> obviously <laughs> yeah. that's bad. Right. So, so what what's do you your think best case? The, so my best case scenario would be if companies continue to compete by having the most privacy and, and keeping your best interests at heart. I think that's why Apple has been so effective in part is because People know Apple will not 
um, give away your data. They will go to bat for you. Even against the FBI, we've seen Apple will keep your data safe and always work to create the world that is most natural for you as a caveman. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the best case scenario. But ideally, you know, Amazon grows to be the backbone of the U.S. economy. Other smaller businesses can still compete because they just use Amazon for all the boring logistical stuff like shipping and, you know, getting people to know about their products or whatever, but they can still do what they love. And ideally, Amazon and Google, they would not have tax havens and instead they would be taxed by the government. And because they create such enormous profits and such enormous wealth, that would be mm -hmm. shared and redistributed to all people on you know, in the United States and eventually all people globally. And we would essentially have these tech giants working for us to create the best possible worlds and the wealth would be shared for with all. And then people can just focus on what they love to do. That's the best case scenario. Yeah. And the most likely yeah, I, I think the, is a, is a mix where it's, you have some companies that care about privacy and care about what's best for you. And some companies that just care about a profit and, because of aggressive pricing, they remain a behemoth, even though they're not what most people would choose as their ideal company. Yeah, that that's honestly sort of what I was thinking for my worst case, is to have uh, what, just a single one of these companies dominate by an order of magnitude. They, like, they are the company. They hold a monopoly over tech, AI, anything. And I don't right. even necessarily think if it's a Chinese company that it would... I think even if it was only Google that had an AI, things wouldn't necessarily um, end Be out better. the best for us. Yeah. Well, it depends a lot about the value system of Google and if it's managed independently versus if it's sort of becomes part of the democratic system where it's like really does take the interests of all people into account. Yeah. But yeah. It's, and, it's and hard to see how the they would be forced case. to do that, you know, especially yeah. once they have that much power. I mean, I think the best case, I agree with you. I think the best case is if there's some sort of an oligopoly where there's, there's multiple big tech giants, but it's not like one of them just owns everything. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to say. But I just want there to be enough freedom for anybody, any other company to have the opportunity to compete. I think if there's ever a time where a company, if there's not a startup scene, if there's no way to start a business that can eventually beat out these top companies that's that's a problem but i think in the best case there's still a healthy ecosystem of competition and you know we can keep the the good parts of capitalism running um so yeah, yeah that, that would I'm be in, my, my best case i'm in agreement let's see and then right. likely likely i think things will probably remain relatively how they are now there's probably going to be a handful of companies that find their own niches in the top and they continue to be complementary 
And if a company, if a startup gets too big, they'll just be acquired by one of these. Totally. I think this is probably a good place to wrap up. Yeah, so thank you all of you guys so much for listening. This has been the future of big tech. If you have any questions about it, you can shoot us an email, uh, check us out on social media, hence the future is our handle on all social media channels. Our website is hencethefuture.com. And if you put a suggestion in our suggestion box, we will answer that topic. We've already gotten a couple good suggestions that we are thinking about when to have those discussions. And our next episode next week will be the future of jobs and automation. So be sure to tune in for that. Cool. Well, it was a good talk, and I'll see you guys next week. happened, what is currently happening, and what will inevitably happen. The past, the present, and the